Thank you, James. All right, this is awesome. You know, uh, last weekend, I had the privilege of officiating Caitlin and Aaron's wedding out in Temecula, okay? So during the wedding, we're in suits, okay? Tuxes and suits, and the sun is right there, and it's 98 degrees, so I don't want to hear any whining on the beach right now because we got this ocean, and anytime you want to get up and go back in that water, just go do it. Just go do it. So the text that I want to pull out of the scriptures this morning to talk with you about is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And I'm just going to totally yank it right out of Paul's lovely letter to this church in Thessalonica. But these two verses have gripped me, especially in terms of where we're at right now as a river church. And so let me read it for you. This is Paul speaking to a local church like ours. He loved this church. It was almost a model church for its region. And his deep affection just pours out in this letter. So here are these two verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And Paul says, Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, I love this. Paul says, now about your love for one another, I don't need to say a thing. But I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And that's what we're going to do this morning. He says, yet I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. That's the key text. To do so more and more. To learn to love one another more and more. James gave our sort of uh, growing, convicting vision statement for the River Church, one that we've worked on the last couple of years that has sort of gripped our imagination and we try to say it from up front a lot. I'm going to say it to you again. We're a highly, and this is kind of weird, but in parentheses we put hopelessly, and we're thinking of dropping the hopelessly, okay? It's a little, uh, little too weird. But really, you know this. You know this about the River Church. We're, we are a highly relational church devoted to the words and ways and person of Jesus. If you, if you want to describe the River Church, like what are we? What is, what is the magic sauce here? It's our relationships and our devotion to Jesus. And then we go on pursuing cultural renewal and life transformation here in the South Bay and beyond, and all to the glory of God. And we, we, we hear that statement a lot. We're a highly relational church. And you know if you run a business, you know, mission statements that are on the wall or in a a file, you know, they, they don't mean anything. And, and for us to, to declare we're a highly relational church, well, the question is, are we really? <laughs> and I want to say, yes, indeed, I think we really, really are. We've kind of boiled down the River Church to, to four key values. Enjoy God. I'm sorry, love God. Enjoy people. Play your part and share your story. So if, if you want to describe the River Church, what really moves us is 
the fact that we want to love God and we want to love people. We want to be a highly relational church. And Paul says, um, I, I, I don't need to write to you about your love for one another, but, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm going to urge you to do it more and more. And that's my conviction this morning, to encourage us, to urge us, uh, to learn how to love one another in a more deeper, more relationally connected way. The River Church of the South Bay, you yourselves are taught by God how to love one another. And there's a beautiful fragrance that permeates out of you wherever you go. The relational connectedness, the warmth, the love, the self-sacrificial giving of our lives to one another, it just, it just blossoms out of the river church throughout the week. You know, when Todd and Denise and a group of couples founded this church 15 years ago, they took a leap of radical trust in God. Because if you've experienced the river, one thing that we desperately don't want to do is to become hierarchical, bureaucratic, highly organized, controlling, right? I mean, James will invite you to go get into the water, and we weren't sure you'd ever come back. I believe that part of the secret sauce of the River Church, the, 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 the magic, the thing that is mysterious, the thing that just sort of um, holds it all together is our trust in the love of God to lead us as a church. And Paul makes up this word, you've been taught by God. It's one word. And Paul made it up. We have confidence that God is teaching us how to love one another. And he says that phrase, love, your love for one another. It's the word Philadelphia, the brotherly city of love. Philos, this kind of love that brothers have for one another or siblings have for one another. It's, it's love among siblings inside a family. He says, you yourselves are taught by God to love. And then he changes it to this beautiful word agape, this, this sort of um, God-born, unconditional, like crazy to believe love that we have for one another. God is teaching us about that. And he uses this phrase, we urge you brothers and sisters. Now, a lot of times in your translations, particularly older translations, it's going to say brothers. And whenever you see the New Testament talking about brothers, almost all of the time it's talking not just about the men in the crowd. It's just one of my, it's a standalone, I can say whatever I want. It's, just, it's one of the things that I want us to grow in is that when the, when the language of the Bible, it uses this word that back in the day, 
because they weren't thinking about the women, they were thinking about the men, they said brothers. It means brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul says here in the NIV, you brothers and sisters. And that word that he uses was a word for the relationship between brothers and sisters within their family. Paul repurposes it now, and he refers to those that are inside of a church to consider one another brothers and sisters. And Paul says, I want you to learn how to do this more and more and more. And that's my conviction this morning. That's where I want to land this morning is encouraging us as a church to understand what this means to love one another more. Paul says there, in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. He refers to the church as God's family. And there's all sorts of metaphors for what the church is in the New Testament, but Paul's very favorite is the metaphor that we ought to look at the church as a family. It's my favorite metaphor. It's one that has gripped me in the course of my time as a pastor when I think about the health of a local church and what it means for us to do whatever we do as a church, to see ourselves primarily as a family made up of brothers and sisters. So here's, here's one metaphor to consider. Is the church more like a shopping mall or is the church more like a family? And I'm going to push on this a little bit because in our culture, our culture of consumption, we've become savvy purchasers. And in fact, we have a phrase, oh, oh yeah, they're church shopping. And I want to push us, is the church a shopping mall? Or is the church better seen as a family? Paul says it's a family. We don't shop around. That's why we are highly relational. Because what the river does not do is produce religious goods and services. Thank you, James, for that laugh. I appreciate that. Okay, it's really easy for us to shop around in the South Bay and to find out which church is producing the best religious goods and services. Now, listen, my friends, we live in a day where you can get the absolute best preaching that is known on the planet in your podcast. And many of you listen to incredible sermons, and that is so good. I do, too. It's fantastic. But we can't treat that as a religious good and service and then understand that as our church. Because the church is seen as a family, not a product that we consume. Here's another metaphor I want us to think about. We could consider the church a cruise ship. Uh, you know, maybe you'd like to go on cruises. I've been on two cruises, and cruises are the place where you get to eat until you can't eat anymore, and you sit around, and, you know, and then I see commercials for cruise ships, which, which are like theme parks on a, on a cruise ship, and I just want to say congratulations to all of you that are here on the beach this morning uh, during Labor Day weekend, because you realize that this is free, 
right here. And we live in a gorgeous, unbelievable space. We didn't have to get on a cruise ship, but sometimes churches become like cruise ships, where we get to sit around and consume in a passive way and just gain weight. And I would suggest that a, a different metaphor would be the church is a Vespa. And, and I like that. Now, cruise ships are great because they, they provide a lot of things. But, you know, when you go to port call and you get off the ship, and what do you do? You go rent a Vespa and you go all over the island because it's, it's, so, it's, so, um, it's quick. It's agile. A cruise ship is not agile. So I suggest that a better metaphor is church's family as a Vespa rather than a cruise ship. Now, we have this group of people, and I don't know who they are, but they're on what is called at the River Church the care team. And the care team are a group of loving brothers and sisters who in a stealth manner care for people, not only at the River Church, but in our community. Maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take a, a quick ask. If you've been a recipient of the care team, maybe you didn't even know you were, but if you have been the recipient of this care team, do you mind just putting your hand up? Look, look, see that? And I don't know who's on the care team, but you're beautiful people, and... I had a season of grief when my wife died, and it was during COVID, and I, I'm, I'm suspecting that some of you on the care team, I know you came to my house, and you, you provided care, but it was during COVID, so I sometimes saw you through the window sneaking up with masks and gloves on right at the very beginning of the COVID when we thought we had to wash our groceries before they came into our house, and some of you, you would come to my front door, and you would, like, with a six-foot pole, drop off a meal, and then you would race back to your car for fear that my house might give you COVID. But I can't tell you how life-sustaining that was. You're like wonderful people on Vespas, and you show up all over our community, and I don't know who you are. So thank you. I don't need to tell you to love one another, but I'm going to do it. Anyway, do it more and more and more. You know, I was reading through the book of Nehemiah this week, and there's just one thing that that popped out to me, and that is they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem that had been torn down and burned down, and these former exiles were coming back from Babylon with permission to rebuild the wall so there could be protection for the city. And Nehemiah says that every family got involved in rebuilding the wall in front of their home. I thought, what a beautiful picture of the church. Every family involved in their neighborhood in front of their home doing God's work. So this brings me to this thought, and till my dying day, I'm going to continue to say it, but I know it's a losing battle. We do not go to church. We are the church. And I would, I would love, I would love it. Thank you, yeah. 
I would love it if we continued to grow in our sensitivity to our language. We don't go to church. Now, okay, I know, I know what you're talking about. We come on Sunday to a worship gathering, okay? It's, it's a gathering of brothers and sisters. So we, we come to that worship gathering, but we don't come to church. We come to be the church. We are the church. We're the church when we're gathered together, and we are just as much the church when we're scattered out in our neighborhoods. You know, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was teaching a group of people, and his mother and his brothers came and said, hey, hey tell Jesus we're out here. And, uh, and, and he kind of he pushed them off. And Jesus redefined our notion of family in this moment where he said, who, who are my mother and my brothers? And he said, it's, it's these people right here. Jesus is changing our understanding of what it means to be a family. And I want to suggest that the best way that families, husbands and wives, children, brothers and sisters, one of the best ways that we can not only survive but thrive together is when we, in a sense, embed our natural-born family within the context of this spiritual family. We put way too much weight on marriages when we say that is the center and it's up to husband and wife to make their marriage work. We put way too much weight on parenting when we say, well, it's, it's, it's my job to raise my kids. Well, yes, it is. Of course it is. But Jesus' vision is that we take our marriages and our parenting and this is especially true for single adults, we find that there is this new relationship, this supportive relationship, this connection, this, this very personal love that can happen when my family is connected to you all with your families. It's a new way to look at the church. And I've been a pastor long enough and worked with students long enough to know that oftentimes behind the closed doors of our home is incredible pain. And we don't feel like we can open it up to anyone else. We have to solve it. And we keep it incredibly private. And things can be falling apart. And I think Jesus and Paul just paints this picture of the church's family where you don't go and spill everything in front of the whole church, but you're connected enough that you have people in your life where you can talk about the hardest things. That's the church. The Apostle John was called the beloved disciple because he loved Jesus and he knew he was loved by Jesus. He was the beloved. And he says this in 1 John 4. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. The origin of our love is God himself. That's why he can teach us how to love one another. And we can trust him that he will lead the river church in deeper and deeper love for one another. And then he goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. 
I'm able to love you because I'm receiving God's love in my life. My encouragement to you today is to let God love you deeply. Feel his love. And know that his agape love is unconditional. It truly is unconditional. He will never stop loving you. He can't love you any more than he loves you right now, even in your deepest place. He loves you and likes you. He does not have a frown on his face. He's not discouraged by your efforts. He is for you. We love because he first loved us. And really, that's a picture of the cross, the vertical, our love relationship with God, and then the cross beam is our horizontal relationship with one another. They're intimately connected. So the deeper we go into Jesus, the further out we can go in our love for all of Macedonia. As the River Church is connected deeper and deeper in a love relationship with Jesus, allowing him to inform us and love us, then our arms can be spread out wide and we can give that fragrant love away to other people. And Paul says, so River Church, do this more and more. Jesus was asked, what, what, how do you sum up the, the Old Testament scriptures? How, how, how do you sum them up? And, and uh, it was kind of a test. And Jesus said, well, there, there's two commands. There's two great commands. The first one is to love God with everything you have. And then there's a second one like it. And that's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That is it. That is the, the simplest declaration of what it means to be a God follower. I'm going to love God because love comes from God. And I love because he first loved me. It's reciprocal. And then I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he had his disciples in the upper room and he chose to wash their feet. And then he told his disciples, I've given you a model. Now I want you to go and do the same. Now, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate for us to say we have to go and wash one. Well, maybe here on the beach we should. But, you know, that was a cultural thing, washing one another's feet. It's a little weird if we wash one another's feet now. You know, it's like take a shower. You got a bathtub. You know, you can, you can handle that. But, but, he, but he said, this is a model, this self-sacrificial love of being a servant to one another. And then a few moments later, he told them, he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I want that to sit with us for just a moment. Because we've heard that so often that it probably was easy for it just to flow by. We think the New Testament is not about rules and commands. I, I think it is. Jesus gave a very clear command, a new commandment I give you. And because we've been loved by God and love comes from God, we don't have to work at this. This is something that can flow out of us as we receive God's love. The new commandment is to love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, get this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're at an inflection point in an understanding worldwide, particularly in our country, of what the church is. What this thing is all about. And Jesus says, core to it is that you would be known as a group of Jesus followers who are remarkably over the top in your ability to love one another. Paul said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He said, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I just want to say something really quick about that. Honor one another above yourselves. That's tripped me up for a long time. What I've discovered in my life that I do a better job of loving other people because the Bible tells me I should love other people before I love myself. But I've discovered, actually, I have a hard time loving people because I don't love myself. I have a lot of narratives of self-recriminating, sort of guilt-inducing language inside that causes me to want to serve you, but to neglect myself. In one sense, I'm not sure I can really love you that well if I don't come to terms with the ability to love and forgive myself. Hebrews 13 says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And Peter said, love one another deeply from the heart. River Church, do this more and more. I urge you, do it more and more. Last week, our staff got together for two days of, of, of praying and envisioning. And the word that came out, clear as a bell, as we asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want for us in this next season? The word came out clear, more. We want more. We want more of Jesus. We're about to embark on a brand new teaching series through the book of Acts. It'll start next week. Taylor, you're going to kick us off, right? The book of Acts, so we invite you to be part of that. Uh, the book of Acts is about the birth of the church by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we've been praying during this staff time, Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We want more of this love that is, that is just permeating out into the South Bay in very tangible, practical, self-sacrificial ways. So River Church, let's do it more. And I invite you into this journey this fall through the book of Acts. A journey of understanding what is, who is the Holy Spirit? And what is this power that he unleashes in a local community of believers? We want more of that. And I don't know what that looks like. So I don't have any application for you today other than let's do more. James, will you come up and uh, take us to the table, will you? Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I love that. The best part is we are not dealing in abstracts here. We are not dealing in platitudes that are so far above, they're unreachable. We are dealing in something that Jesus of Nazareth 
modeled for us, showed us what it looked like, and he showed us not in his teachings alone or in his like cosmic spiritual accomplishment. He showed us in his life and his love and his death, and God affirmed it in his resurrection. And, and we celebrate that every week. We go to this little table over here where there is little hourglasses full of grape juice and a little wafer. And the, the wafer symbolizes Jesus giving himself for us. It's, it's a way to remember, to counter those counter-narratives, to re-remember again and again every week. He loved us first. He loved us well. He loved us wholly. And the blood uh, is represented in the grape juice. So I'm going to close, invite you. The way we do it here at the river is as you feel, uh, come on forward, grab some communion, but we're, we're kind of done. Ron will play a little music. Um, Bill, thank you. So I'm going to pray, Lord, thanks for this reminder and the reality that, Lord, love is, it's kind of like our family business. If we are a family, then love is our cottage industry. It's our obsession. It's, it's our, the thing we binge on is love to one another and to those outside of our community that, um, Father, we see every day. And we just pray that would be, that would be our flavor. That would be our scent as a, as a community, as a church. It would not be they're weird, they meet on the beach, or they have really great messages or worship. But, Lord, it would be they really love well. They love well and they're real. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So feel free as the music plays to come get some uh, communion. And, and that's our close. So have a great Labor Day weekend, everyone.